So, uh, the two drivers come down. They both, of course, notice that Axe and Tobias are bulls and not steer. Uh, but Marco uh, comes up tell. behind them. Go ahead. Another, another thing of Cassie being proven right again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco comes up behind them as a gorilla and knocks them out. Um, and, uh, oh yeah, they, they turn to run, uh, Axe and Tobias and Marco kind of work to knock them out. Um, and Jake's like, all right, we'll take their clothes, uh, and we'll, we will put on their clothes. I'll demorph because I'm biggest. I'll look okay in that guy's jeans and jacket. Marco will drive. How come Marco drives? Rachel demanded. He has experience. Oh man, don't even mention that, Cassie said. My dad cried over the twisted remains of that truck. <laughs> which is which is a good callback. Um Yeah. Uh Axe and Tobias get all of the other steer onto the truck by basically just herding them in. Uh then they climb in, Cassie and Rachel morph to flies and perch in Axe and Tobias's noses. Marco, still a gorilla. Squeezes into the denim jacket and pants. Uh, and Rachel just like, oh yeah, this'll work. A gorilla wearing some hideous Levi's leisure, sh- leisure, leisure suit and a kid who looks like he's wearing his dad's clothes, delivering a pair of bowls to a yerk meat packing plant. Nothing weird here. Uh, Cassie points out that Marco has to go in gorilla morph because the seat is jammed back and he can't reach the pedals because he's short. Uh, and then Marco begins driving, and it's terrible. I do how we get, like, everyone's got a seatbelt on, no stopping. Like, that. this is some good Marco, this little yes. bit here. We get a lurch and the sound of grinding, and we're, oh yeah, clutch. Forgot about that. I mean, who has a standard transmission nowadays? Mm-hmm. Prince Jake must have said something, because then Mark said, hey, no one is going to die on the way there. I'll get us all there. Everyone will still be available to die when we get there. And I'm like... That is Marco riding. Yes. That is, I'm here for that. There's grinding. Mm-hmm. They lurch forward. Um, Marco's pleased there's no problems. And Tobias says, yeah, we'll see how you do on the road. And then there's a crunch. What was that? Fence. A few seconds later, a very similar sound. More fence. Everyone shut up. I have it under control. And uh, it goes about as well as you could have said, like, Tobias, uh, not Tobias, Axe has the uh, observation. It occurred to me that oncoming vehicles should not be passing by on the right. Uh, took me a second to go. Oh yeah, America. Um, <laughs> uh, some people. Uh, hey, that guy gave me the finger. Some people take it personally when you nearly run them down. Some people have no sense of humor. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, Marco takes a turn a little too sharply, mm-hmm. which uh, causes the truck to swerve. Because that's going to be. To be fair, let me be clear. To give Marco credit, driving a truck like. Or as I would say, a lorry with multiple, like, cows in, like, multiple livestock is going to be a very different driving experience. If you're not used to driving, even, like, a car with, like, a trailer on the back, mm-hmm. it's very different. I think it's an easy thing to muck up. But he swerves, the the truck swerves, the cows and steers in the back all sort of slide, and the uh, the truck goes up onto two wheels, mm-hmm. you know. As you do, 
somehow momentum, like somehow Marco is able to stop the truck from completely tipping over. Um, they land back on all four wheels. Everybody slides to the right. The truck starts tilting on those two wheels, goes down to the back, and then they're on all four wheels. They get to the meatpacking plant. Marco's clearly feeling very proud of himself, <laughs> hits the brakes, and uh, the uh, armed guards at the meatpacking plant are approaching this cab, seeming somewhat disturbed, possibly awed, possibly admiring, possibly frightened. It is sometimes hard to decipher human facial expressions. Um, and they question Marco, who's managed to partially demorph enough to get vocal cords mm -hmm. um, going, and he's just like, "Oh, it's just bad shocks." <laughs> um, and they just try to like, and they somehow manage to bluff their way in. Holy shit! Yeah, and he has to. Uh, I think I see a ramp up there. There must be where we go. They'd reply to like, sure, I could back up to the ramp. Why wouldn't I be able to back up? <laughs> <laughs> and then we get, a, as Cassie observes, a 30-point turn mm -hmm. as Marco finally is able to slam the truck into place at the bottom of the ramp. <laughs> um, and that was the most enjoyable part of the book. Yep. <laughs> Uh, uh. Yep. Yeah. So the workers at the plant come down. They're gonna start yelling at the at Jake and Marco, but Jake and Marco have already morphed to fly. Um, and so the the workers are like, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, I would run if I were driving like that too. That dude must have been drunk, because <laughs> he was a terrible driver." Um. <laughs> But uh, Jake and Marco end up in Axe and Tobias's noses as well. Uh, they are led through the Gleet biofilter, uh, and it works. Uh, the the flies that are the kids in deep inside Axe and Tobias's nose are not affected. Um, we we do get an interesting lampshade. Um. <laughs> Hey, those are bulls. Well, I'll be a transported like this? This really is nuts. The skinny man narrowed his eyes suspiciously. Andalite bandits? The large man laughed. I think an andalite could figure out how to drive a truck. Besides, even an andalite isn't stupid enough to morph a steer or even a bull and walk into a slaughterhouse. They'd have to be idiots. Could not have said it better myself, Marco muttered. Uh, and then we get the description from Axe. From the building, awful smells reached my nostrils. Blood, manure, blood, biological rot, and more blood. And more blood. Nothing should be rotting. Nope. Uh, and this, is, this just feels like it's just, you know, trying to... Yeah. It's trying to be horrifying. Bela it's belaboring the point. Yeah, yeah. And it's doing a bad job. Yeah. All I can think is that Darth Mar Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is just like, see, like, blood, 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 blood. <laughs> it's just like, saying the word blood a bunch of times does not make a thing scary. 
That's that's not how that works. Yep. Uh, Axe and Tobias are led down a chute so that they are single file. Um, the once they're past the biofilter, uh, Marco, Cassie, Jake, and Rachel fly off to go find a place to demorph and figure out shit. So Axe and Tobias are left alone in this line of steer going to slaughter. Um, which is compelling in its kind of scariness, right? Just that, that idea that like, okay, now we just gotta kind of hope that our friends, uh, are fast enough to get us out of this line. Um, so the Tobias tries to, uh, distract himself by asking Axe if there's anything good on TV lately. Uh, <laughs> are you attempting to distract us from our fear by engaging in irrelevant conversation? Yeah. In that case, I did enjoy watching The Simpsons. I assume that they do not represent some variant species of humans, but are in fact humorous pictorial exaggerations of humans. <laughs> yeah, they're cartoons. Cartoons, yes. They seem to be related to humans, but lacked a sufficient number of fingers. Uh, and then this uh, innocuous conversation is interrupted uh, by the the fact that their view kind of opens up. Um, As the chute turned a corner, I saw a horrific vision. Dozens of cows hanging by their rear legs. They seemed to almost be flying. Flying as they were carried along by an overlord overhead conveyor belt. Flying and no longer alive. It was a bewildering scene. A confusing assembly line full of separate events and actions. Cows are not highly intelligent animals. An intelligent animal, smelling the blood, catching this brief glimpse of the future, would have bolted, kicked, fought. But no, maybe that is not true either. Maybe an intelligent animal would understand that it was doomed and attempt to face the inevitable calmly. In any event, neither Tobias nor I were cows, and neither of us was intellectually impaired. Fuck you, Axe. Um, mm -hmm. And Tobias is like, alright, no, I'm out. And Axe is like, no, we gotta wait for the others. And then he sees that what is, what is happening directly ahead of him, um, because he's taller than the steer in front. Uh, I looked past him and at first did not understand what I was seeing. The lead steer came up to a place where pneumatic forces pushed the sides of the chute in, locking the animal in place. A man acting with practiced ease whipped shackles around the back legs. A second man held a large tool against the head of the steer. The tool had a cylinder on top. He squeezed a trigger. Bang. The tool jerked. The steer fell. In its forehead was a hole. Instantly, it was jerked into the air by its legs. I counted two more steer between me and the killing gun. I have faced death in battle, but never as a dumb beast going to slaughter. I have changed my mind, I said. Let's get out of here. This is really unkind to cows. Mm-hmm. Not not the events of what is happening, but the narration with respect to cows is just very mm -hmm. unflattering. And I would say it's infantilizing, but they're cows. Yeah. Considering the whole position seems to be about, um, you know, respecting the lives of animals and, like, condemning the meat industry sure are kind of shitty about cows yeah like do you think this makes it less traumatic if they uh they aren't scared if, is this 
a weird part of the pitch they're trying to make here. Yeah, I don't know. I can like, I can understand Axe wanting to like. I don't understand why you wouldn't fight mm-hmm. this if you weren't intelligent enough to understand what was happening to you. But for all this doesn't again, this comes across like shoddy writing because we know that Axe can be condescending. Mm-hmm. It's it's not out of a place of maliciousness, but it's just that Andalite brain of his mm-hmm. and like growing up. Excuse me. With a like a certain set of attitudes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And for all of this, it, I appreciate the pacing of this is actually very mm-hmm. good. Yeah. The almost clinical way Axe is observing what is happening in front of him. Good. This feels kind of threatening. Yes. This is an effective use of building dread. Yes. And it becomes and it's working against itself because we keep having these moments of Axe, Axe's observations and this weird disparaging talk about cows. And it's like, uh, just like yeah. I have faced death in battle, but never walked into it willingly like this. Yeah. Knowing, knowing my death was certain. There's so many different ways you could have phrased that. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, it is misrepresenting a lot. Mm. Um, and, like, the the fact that the cows would react relatively normally to this is not that surprising. These are cows that have been raised from birth to be guided around using shoots like this, probably usually for things like basic maintenance um, on like hooves or horns or teeth or whatever, um, on getting medication, um, all of that sort of thing. Like they will have been led into shoots like this and trained to go in and wait patiently until whatever is done is done. And then you get to go out the other side. Right? Yeah. Um, In fact, there's a lot of... um, I follow someone on TikTok who is a dairy farmer. um, And he shows uh, like videos of his cows who will, on their own, walk over to the milking machine and get into it to relieve the unpleasantness of being full of milk. And then when it's done, they leave. Like, yeah, they have understanding of their situation and yeah. as much as they are able to do so. They are not oblivious to what is happening. Right. Um, are they probably a little unsettled by the smells and sounds around here? Yeah. But probably also their vision is limited. And like, again, they've been raised from a very young age to kind of go with the flow, so to speak. Um, Mm. And, like, these cows aren't treated poorly from what we see. Like, they're free-range cows. They live on a feedlot, get to run around in the field, do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, They're brought to this place that is not a far drive away, so they don't have to spend a whole lot of time in transport. Uh, 
And then after a couple of minutes, maybe, of being frightened by their surroundings, they are killed instantly and probably mm -hmm. as humanely as possible. Like, yeah, like, I mean, as, as, as I said at the top, I've watched like various documentaries and things like that. Like, generally speaking, the, the meat industry, it's a lot of, they want to keep the animals as calm as possible for as long as possible. Yes. Because adrenaline affects the taste of the meat. Yes. It affects the final product. It is not cost efficient mm -hmm. for them to create an environment that is stressful for the animals. It's, uh, are there probably facilities that are awful? Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Uh, but like, the meat industry has a lot of problems. Yes. Um, but this portrayal is not the, like, inhumane, terrible animal torture that we're led to believe it is. No, this is a perspective. I think what makes it so scary for Axe, and because he is one, he doesn't encounter raw meat, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, has no much occasion to. Like, again, battle is a different thing. Mm -hmm. And we do know he is mostly a grazer, even though we know he has consumed animal protein because we had uh, described in the last book. <laughs> but as a graze like somebody that by nature is a grazer to be in this situation experiencing these things for the first time especially when we've talked about how much he struggled with like the noise in the tunnel and things like that mm -hmm. like that's probably that's got to be a sensory nightmare that's a lot of stuff yeah. to try and process and then the understanding that you are in danger yes like axe's fear of what could happen to him is coloring this yes and uh, as it should it's his yeah. perspective we're following. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, like you said, uh, like this, this little scene is very good at ramping up the tension and the drama of it. Um, it's evocative. It, uh, gives the reader a sense of danger and of a very limited amount of time to act in. Um, and that continues into the next chapter. Um, uh, this is, this is very well written, um, because Axe freaks the fuck out and can't even really control himself doing it. Um, I began to demorph. No time. Bang. Another steer died. I refused to move forward. What do they expect sending bulls? A man grumbled. He stepped over to me. He was carrying a tube with two small prongs on the end. He jammed the tube. Zap. Uh, the pain was incredible. I moved forward without intending to. Closer. I had stopped demorphing. Morph, I screamed at myself. Bang. The last steer ahead of me died. I resisted again. I dug in my hooves, but now I was demorphing, and from the big bull hooves, my own more delicate hooves were emerging. I could barely support my own weight. The man with the shackles would see that. But it would be too late. The man with the stick rammed it twice, once in my rump, then lower under my belly, the pain. Uh... I staggered, but I staggered forward. My head was clearing slowly. The sides of the chute pressed in, holding me tight, immobile. Morph, morph, morph. Tobias is crying out for Axe. 
My eyes watered, my head was swimming, I was confused, lost, dazed. I looked to my right, the tool was coming for me, coming straight toward me. I could see the man's finger on the tr trigger. Then a new form, large, brown, looming up behind the man. Hey, buddy, take the rest of the day off, Rachel said. She swung one massive grizzly bear paw. The man with the killing tool dropped like one of the steer. Cutting it kind of close, aren't you? Tobias demanded angrily. Sorry, Rachel said. I realized I was shaking, trembling. Other humans were running now, many running away, some running towards us, toward the bear. I could not stop trembling, could not stop the shaking. I was demorphing and shaking. Uh. And uh, the controllers begin to try to fight Rachel. Um, and just then, my own stock eyes began to function. I could look back and see my own tail, my own fast, deadly, accurate tail. I was a grazing animal like the ones who were fed to this killing place, but I was not a cow. Uh, and he jumps into the fight. Uh, taking like, this is very evocative. Somebody, yeah. yeah, taking off the hand of somebody wielding a chainsaw. Um, this chapter is one of the only bits of action that seems to work. Yes. As intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so much for subtlety. Uh, Rachel rips part of the shoot apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, the others are apparently in trouble. So Rachel's like, I just came to get you guys. Um, and we get this snippiness between Tobias and Rachel, which also feels very out of character. Yeah. Like... Rachel cares so much about the others. And like, I can understand Tobias being angry because he cares so much for Axe mm -hmm. and being helpless to do anything when he is such a proactive person. And he hates not being able to act. Yeah. So I can understand him being angry and Rachel being defensive with him right now doesn't feel accurate. Mm -hmm. um, but she directs Tobias to where the others are uh, saying that because uh, Tobias is now fully demorphed it's uh, back as a hawk and we get this little bit I mentioned it earlier uh, because unlike Tobias who can fly Axe and Rachel have to go through this group mm -hmm. or through this pub filled with human controllers um, and it says about how they try to never kill any controller. Mm -hmm. um, and humans in particular, since my human friends have a certain sentimental fondness for others of their own species. So we were careful, we were restrained. I applied my tail blade with restraint, which is an excellent sentence. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, but And Axel does like, it's, it was difficult for him to be restrained because he was so frightened. Mm -hmm. um, and now he's angry. That fears turned to anger because these human controllers are coming at him with knives. Mm -hmm. And he has enough and an understanding. Like he calls it like they're attempting to butcher him. Mm -hmm. um, and we get some really like this, like they're forcing their way over floor that is, and there are carcasses overhead that are dripping and spilled entrails on the floor. And I'm like, this doesn't seem realistic, frankly. Yeah. Fairly certain they need to, uh, even like the, the kill floor of a slaughterhouse, 
you, like health and safety is a thing. Mm-hmm. You can't just have stuff like all over the place. Um, but they're able to get to the others um, who are surrounded uh, by controllers. Uh, Hawk Bajir is starting to come into the facility. Uh, Jake's back is to a closed door. Um, but he can't, he hasn't been able to get it open. So, uh, Rachel plows in, um, and does like a, a full on bear rush, like a grizzly bear charge. Um, and we get this cool little description of what it's like when a grizzly bear starts running Mm -hmm. and how you do not want to be in front of it at all. Um, and would be probably moving with enough force that even if it just hit you with its shoulder, um, it would it could kill you. Mm-hmm. And uh, observes that he's seeing that realization on the faces of the human controllers, who all start getting out of the way. Uh, <laughs> one of them is trying to say like, "Stand fast, don't run," and plants himself in the way and lasts about one and a half seconds before booking it. Uh, takes a slash at Rachel, but it's ineffective um acts as i would keep a couple of hawk bougier uh from dropping onto her and um we do get a a, a good quip from marco about uh, on behalf of general Custer, let me welcome you to the last stand um which just that does feel on brand mm-hmm. um but rachel can't get the door open um and now Visser 3 is here. Delighted that the uh, Andalite bandits have walked their self- themselves into a slaughterhouse and is you know, crowing about it. You know what's mm-hmm. weird? What's weird? Uh, Visser 3 has like this one line mm-hmm. and then doesn't appear for the mm-hmm. rest of the book. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like the notion of him just like up in like the control office that looks out of just like, yes, kill them. <laughs> oh, this is going badly. I'm going to leave and pretend I was never here. Yeah. Like. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Visser 3 is here, I guess. Sort of here. Is he, is here enough to say yes, kill the Bandalite bandits because clearly that wasn't going to happen otherwise. Shrug. Yeah. Um, uh, we we had we had to get the quip in about the end of the Andalite bandits comes here in a slaughterhouse. Like we have to get the the butcher them pun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Um. But the uh, Rachel spots a keypad. Um. By the door. Uh, which, to be fair, we, we've had it established a number of times how bad the grizzly bear's eyesight is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, better late than never because the others are taking damage uh, yep. severely. Um, Axe is able to um, jimmy, uh, like, hotwire the door open mm-hmm. and uh, just to close it on the other side, just rips out all the wires so it shuts. Yeah. Barely so I do like how that works. I do like the detail of. Um, like it's mentioned here where the detail of, uh, Axe stepping forward, um, and yielding his place in the line to Rachel. Mm. Um, 
I just like that as a detail of like the how they fight mm. and like the others holding a line while yeah. one of them tries to get the door open. I just like yeah. that little detail. Uh, also, shout out to detail one of um, we. This is one of the books where we see Axe. We've seen him using computers before, mm-hmm. but this we hear about him like building his own satellite receiver. There was a brief mention we didn't talk about it, but um, the break in the storm and how his equipment's not working, but how he's going to have to go to Radio Shack to get mm-hmm. something, and hear how he's able to like get the door open by like connecting two wires. Uh, by like twisting them together mm-hmm. and then that we're seeing him act as the technician yeah not just oh i understand technology i can use this but also being able to engineer on the fly yeah which is which is good to read mm-hmm. um but they are they're through the door they've got a moment to breathe before they get caught up with uh, and then we get this, this is so fucking weird. So they're in a room, um, identical to the room at the animal testing laboratory where the chimpanzees have been caged, rows of cages, left and right. A concrete floor, white tile walls, bright lights. But there was one significant difference. Where there had been chimpanzees, there were now humans. Um, not moving. Um, and Axe identifies that they're in biostasis. Um, and here we get the explanation, and I use that word loosely, about what this whole book has been building to. Uh, Cassie reads off a chart on the outside of the nurse cage, Project Obedience, Medication Effective. Um, it doesn't specify what the medication is, just that it's Formula 71. Axe, uh, is able to, uh, get into a computer console, clearly Yerkish design. Uh, but it's powered up and open. Somebody was clearly using it recently. And we get this definition, uh, or this explanation of what Project Obedience is. Project Obedience is the brilliant insight of our great and glorious leader, Visa 3, hero of the Taxon Rebellion, scourge of the Andalite fleet, conqueror of Earth. Project Obedience is designed to use genetically engineered biological components to erase those portions of the human brain responsible for free will. Project Obedience has successfully tested Formula 71 on chimpanzees and Earth species related to humans. 100% success has been achieved thanks to the genius of Visa 3. And human testing has now shown Formula 71 to be 100% effective on humans as well. Phase 3 is now ready. The widespread dissemination of Formula 71 through the human food supply followed by the rapid conquest of planet Earth. So, you know, they're going to put some magic formula in meat and it's going to take away free will. Yep. Also, like, and this is how you can tell that Visa 3 ain't a scientist. Nothing's 100% effective. Mm-hmm. And that would have me asking questions. I'm not a STEM person. I go, nothing's 100% <laughs> effective. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. The sample sizes aren't big enough. No, 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 no. Um, yeah. It's like, it's just really dumb. It's really dumb. Like, this is some of the worst science we've had. This is, frankly, this is worse than putting chips in shark brains. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of, like, concept. Yeah. Because uh, at least there I could imagine, all right, maybe the chip is delivering some kind of electrostimulation 
that makes the sharks act in a certain way. Like it's, it's a kind of negative reinforcement that trains them. Whatever. Okay. I can believe that. This We're shit. We're going to feed people something that's going to make them, uh, Tom, like they're going to like lose all capacity to act with free will. Erase those portions of the human brain responsible for free will. One, that's not how brains work. Free will isn't just like, doesn't just like have a center in the brain that's like, oh, well, if you don't have that part, you don't have free. That's not how that works. That's not how brains work. And to be fair, we're going to meet a scientist in a minute who like, yeah, no, this was never going to work. Yeah. We lied about it working. Yes. So Vista 3 wouldn't kill us. Yes. Um, but like before I had reached that part, because I didn't remember mm-hmm. any of this. And so uh-huh. I just read, I, mean, I read this and I took it at face value and I was like, that's so fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. That's just ridiculous and mm-hmm. nonsensical. Yeah. And Cassie immediately calls this out. Immediately. Like the, every, the others are freaking out. And Cassie's like, this is why we're getting killed over this. And Cassie's like, this is not, no way this works. And Jake's like, 100% effective. And Cassie's like, it's a lie. And Rachel, out of the way, like, you just don't want to face reality. I mean, come on. The Hyrks are far more advanced than we are scientifically. They can do this. No, they can't. Come on, we should get these people out of here. We have to free them. And Mark's like, don't you get it? They've already lost their free will. We'll unfreeze them. They'll do whatever the Yerks order them to do. And Cassie's like, we're not leaving humans in cages. Um, yeah, so yeah. And Marco's trying to argue they're not humans anymore. They might as well be controllers if they've got no free will. Which is um, a terrible Cass- comparison. Mm. They're yes. not humans. They might as well be controllers. Yeah, also, Marco would <laughs> never make that me? argument. As what well. the fuck? His yeah. mom is a controller. Yeah. Like, he would never make that argument. And and then we get Cassie, nothing can eliminate free will. Don't be ridiculous. Even with a yerk in your head, you have free will. Not the will to do, but the will to think, to believe, to hope, or love, or whatever. And um, just like, and Jake's just like, this is worse than yerks. This goes deeper, 100% effective. And I, I don't mean to interrupt. This is a very interesting discussion. <laughs> How I do like that. However, mm-hmm. one question does occur to me, uh, and it's like, what? If the humans have no free will, why are they in cages, and why are they being held in biostasis? Enter human scientist uh, threatening to shoot them. Uh, well, trying to say that he will, and uh, Rachel finishes the sentence for him. And uh, they, <laughs> like- they disarm the scientist. Yeah. Go on. I like how he's like, get out of here. Go back out there. You're not allowed in here. <laughs> like, yes, super chill, just like, this will work. I don't think, yeah, Jake's just chill. I don't think we can do that. And just like, boom, knocks the, knocks the gun out of his hand. And this guy just starts crying. Yeah. Just like, Vista 3 is going to kill me. He was always going <clears> to <throat> kill me. It was only a matter of time. Um, and then they're just like, I assume he is Vista 3. just like, of course, Vista 3. Who else? The whole project is his idea. And then Rachel's like, but it worked, so why would he kill you? And this is where we get the explanation. It didn't. I faked the results. We all did. Vista 3 kept demanding results. We gave him results. They were fake. Uh, and Mark's like, ouch, swish, three-pointer for Cassie. Um, which I can understand him maybe saying. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and Cassie smugly. She wouldn't do this, not at a time like this. Afterwards, yes. Mm -hmm. Cassie has been known to be occasionally a little bit smug and enjoy being right, but not in the moment. Um, But yeah, we we get the spiel from the scientist about how it's idiotic. Um, Alvis III is not a scientist, much less a philosopher, how you can't separate a sentient creature from free will because they are free will. Um, a sentient species has free will like an object has mass. You can't separate them. Uh, but Visser 3 doesn't listen. Yes, we've noticed that. He's really not a very nice person. Um, and Jake's like, okay, can you help us get out of here? The scientist is like, I can't help you. He'll kill me. And Cassie's just like, well, you know, I'd feel sorry for you if you weren't like locking these people up. Um, we and delights don't approve of that kind of behavior. They might have... They have families who must be tearing. And she's like, no, no families. They're all street people. I'm not a fool. I knew we'd have to dispose of them in the end. And this is where we have Cassie uh, launch forward. Uh, They're still in their morphs, obviously. And uh, is at his throat, like paws on his shoulders, teeth inches from his face. Uh, We do not dispose of humans. We need a way out of here right now. We won't leave you to Vissa 3. We'll unfreeze these humans and leave you to them. And we get this line from the scientist of, just let me escape with you. I'd rather die of Candrona starvation than face Vissa 3. And so we get the agreement that they don't have any more time to argue this. They're not going to leave these people behind. Uh, Axe, Rachel, and Jake go to the door. Everyone else is letting people out. Which, okay, so that's Marco who has hands mm-hmm. and the scientist, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wake up the humans in the biostasis. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm, so, so there are two problems that I have with this scene. Uh-huh. One is that Cassie turns off the biostasis as a wolf. Uh-huh. Was there just a big red button somewhere? The biostasis button, yeah, common feature on all yet computers. Apparently. Right, of course, of course. Uh, and the labeled. second, <laughs> the second is that Jake specifically says, "Axe, Rachel, and Jake guard the door, and everyone else get the people out." Except that just a paragraph down we formed a bizarre parade cassie and me with the scientist up front a dozen shabby confused but free humans and bringing up the rear tensed and ready for the yurks to pour into the room the rest of my friends mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter it's just another it- indication of just sloppy Writing. It feels like a lack of care. Yes. Like, this person did not care about making sure this was consistent. Yeah. And it's a really good way to halt the action in your action scene to make a reader go, wait, what? Wasn't it? And then have to scroll back up to reread and realize, oh no, this is just actually an error. I didn't read wrong. Like, yeah. It's frustrating. Um, but Cassie disables the biostasis, hitting the big red biostasis button. Uh, and 
Jake tells the the people in the cages, uh, like, go ahead and climb out. We're getting out of here. One of the people is like, says who? Because they don't want to be ordered around by a tiger bear. Uh, and Cassie is like, all right, well, it's your choice. Stay or go. Um, and then the man says, yeah, well, the shelter is terrible. I'm going back to the Salvation Army. How? There is no way that this man actually believes this is a shelter. Uh, I mean, maybe up to a point, like they use that line and then just immediately slap them in biostasis. But uh. like maybe if like if it were supposed to be a joke or had any other indication that it was a joke. Yes, if okay. this is a, a Marco of the world, I'll take yeah. it. It's just like, yeah, this sucks. I'm going back to the Salvation Army. But there's it no indication sucks. of that. Yeah. It's just like, oh, whatever. Okay, so I guess these people are dumb because they're street people? <laughs> because they're homeless? Sure. Let's put that troublesome fucking ideology into here. Um, mm-hmm. And then Cassie is fucking gloating. Hmm, mm-hmm. I believe that was a human being exercising free will. You're going to gloat about this forever, aren't you? Marco asked her. Yes, I am. Like, no. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Stop. Bad. It bad. I'll come back to another reason why this is bad in a moment. Um, but they're on their way out. Uh, and Axe asks the scientist on the way out uh, a query. Um... Okay. Uh, and the scientist like Andalites, at least your people genuinely appreciate science. Okay. Uh, and asks about the chimpanzees. Um, and asks, are they in fact sentient? The chimpanzees, the formula has no effect, but was it because their will remained unaffected or merely because there was no free will to affect? We do not know. Then we just get, I know, Cassie said. And that's the end of the chapter. It is essentially the end of the book, because the last chapter is garbage. Mm -hmm. In the annals of stupid, screwed up, pointless missions, that was the stupidest, most pointless of them all, Marco said. Marco, I agree. Yep. (laughs) The kids are all hanging in the food court. Rachel's standing in line for food. She's bringing Axe a cinnamon bun. Um... And just like, I mean, all this trouble for what? For a yerk plot that was already a total failure. We could have stayed home. Yes, you could have. We set some chimpanzees free, said, and some humans too, which, Marco, is even better. And then, weirdly competitive, and then Marco being competitive right back. Oh, come on. You know you're a hopeless tree-hugging animal nut. Come on. You're wearing Birkenstocks right now, aren't you? Confess. Just, okay. Um, but Rachel come, arrives with the food. Axe tucks into his cinnamon bun, taking Ken not to eat the paper plate because he's learned that's improper. And Marco has ordered a burger. Um, and Cassie is like, oh, I can't believe there's a burger after Axe was nearly carved up after being in that slaughterhouse. And Marco just happily eats the eat, tucks into the burger. And Rachel and Jake are both staring at Marco eat this. And they're like, Rachel's be right back. And Jake says, yeah, get me a burger too. Um, and Axe requests one as well, like, ha ha, because his mouth is full, but also he clearly wants a burger. 
<laughs> and that's the end of the book. I don't mind it ending on them eating a burger. Like, mm-hmm. it's interesting at least. Uh, but one, the fact that Cassie, out of all of them, specifically refuses to eat a burger and no one else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, like, it just. This is the most kickflip into the sun of all the kickflips into the sun. Mm-hmm. Like, it mo- usually there is some kind of like small character moment that these contain mm-hmm. that like uh, maybe drive home uh, you know some change that happened with the character or uh, some kind of moral or. Mm-hmm. lesson or something that they have learned about themselves yeah. or about the war but this is just wholesale fucking pointless mm-hmm. and it it just it's a pointless ending to a pointless book mm-hmm. and I, I still don't know what side we're supposed to be on yeah. Of this debate. Because, like, that ending is firmly on the side of, like, Marco's side. The, the yeah. meat eater's side in this imaginary argument. I... I don't know. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad and really unsatisfying. Yeah. And yeah, I want to look back to the point I wanted to make about Cassie. Mm-hmm. And it feels like just, oh, yeah, um, I care about animals. I care about animals, but I can't talk about how much I care about the animals because people think I care about animals more than I care about people. Hey, I care about people. Look, look how much I care about people. Did you see mm-hmm. the part where I rescued the people mm-hmm. and was right about the people? And it's sort of like, that's not the Cassie we know. We know Cassie yeah. cares about people. That's never, well, no, it's not, it's never been questioned. Sometimes her priorities have been questioned by the others because they haven't been able to see from her perspective. But Cassie's whole thing is compassion. Like, it's not surprising that she would want to help the mm-hmm. humans there. And she certainly wouldn't crow like that about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's again, it's just very heavy-handed. Yeah. That's that's kind of the 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 thing is that this book is just very heavy-handed. Uh and mm. it does neither side of this issue any favors. No. And it like it it doesn't even present it in a way that's a fun read. Like there are small moments of like interesting things that are happening or where they get the characterization right um or like f- even funny sequences mm. but they are weighed down by just confusing writing bad characterization and the ham-fisted uh argument that's going on throughout it 
I am glad that we have read this so our listeners don't have to. (laughs) I feel like I have done a public service this day. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I hope Amy Garvey got, you know, a decent paycheck. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that this is the only one she wrote, because <laughs> clearly maybe this was just a paycheck for her. Yeah. Or it certainly feels that way. Yeah. Reading it. Could this story have been better with a different writer? I don't know. I mean, it definitely could have been a stronger piece of writing. Mm-hmm. But I do think, uh, as Marco says, that's a point. It's a pointless mission. So, mm-hmm. what did we learn from this? Uh, well, Axe got traumatized. Yay, Axe! Yeah, it's like in book fourteen. That mission is pointless, um, except for the very end where they save some of the folks from being uh, infested. Um. But like the the infiltration into the base is pointless because it's just an antelite mm-hmm. toilet. Uh, yeah. the the helmicrons were also pointless, but in a different way because they showed up and then you have to deal with them. But yeah. like in the scheme of things, it's completely irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the one. The one piece of information to take out of this that I think if you were to rewrite the book, you would have to rewrite it around this is the idea that one of Visser Three's biggest weaknesses besides his arrogance is the fact that he's a really terrible boss. Hmm. Like he he's he's the. um manifestation of that idea of like rule through fear versus ruling through like compassion or understanding or respect or um, competency <laughs> yeah so like well they fear me and that's just as good as respect and like no it's not because they're gonna do shit like this because they're afraid of you and so I, that i think is important that idea is important. Um, and I think it's good to have a story that hinges on that. Um, I don't think it would have to be this plot. You could do this in a million different ways, but I think it is important that we see that because that is something that will continue to come up. Um, and like my, my second thesis statement of Animorphs is just this idea that like, the Animorphs didn't do a whole lot. They, they didn't accomplish very many big things. Um, like they, they do have some, like destroying the Candrona and destroying the, the Royan Island base where they were putting things into shark brains, right? Those were important wins. Helping out Lyra. That was also an important win. Um, but they have a lot of these where it's like they're either momentarily uh, stymieing the Yerks or they're 
taking away a potential weapon that the Yerks could use, like with the Pemelite crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not necessarily pushing the Yerks back. Mm. And a lot of the troubles that the Yerks face aren't necessarily from just the Animorphs, who are this thorn in their side making things more difficult. But internally, the the structure of their empire and the uh, uh, kind of power-hungry, narcissistic uh, attitude that they uh, uh, fester, uh, grow, put into their kids, basically, their, their, mm. the New Yorks, um, yeah. the rank and file, that, like, that is going to be the Yerk's downfall. Mm. Um, and I think that reflects a lot of what we see in, like, if you make the comparison to the Cold War between Russia yeah. and America, the only reason it quote-unquote ended is because the USSR collapsed. Mm. It's not because the U.S. won some decisive victory. Um, there was this book I read as a teenager. Um, <clears throat> I think it was just one of the Point Crime series. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, arguably kind of pap. Uh, centered around a tennis tournament. Uh, but there was a line in it that always really struck stuck with me mm. um, regarding one of the games on in that it's just like uh, you didn't win that match, your opponent lost it, mm-hmm. and just that notion of like winning by default, like you haven't earned this, the other person just did worse. Mm-hmm. It's just a real. I feel like it's a very adult way to look at a thing and i i yeah. like it a lot and it's something i've tried to remember mm-hmm. um for sure but yeah you're talking about that that's just made me think of that just like if a different person had been in charge of the earth invasion yep. it could have gone very different yep yeah there is a uh like a a, a theory that the Council of Thirteen don't really like Visser One or Visser Three. Um, and so what they did is they put Visser Three in a situation where he couldn't do an all-out war and he had to do this secret invasion. And they put Visser One in charge of an all-out war. Hmm. And so they're like at cross purposes. Mm. Um, and it's like it's setting them up for failure. Yeah. Which I think is something interesting to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, that's that's book twenty-eight. Uh, well, at least we... there's a, a new mm-hmm. point on the the new low point on the barometer of how was a book, just like <laughs> on a scale of X to Y. Well, yep. we've now got our low point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yes. Uh, possible rankings of plot. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, one. Yeah. Like, plot wise, <laughs> there is nothing of value here. Yeah. 
This this is not a place of honor. Nothing of value is buried here. <laughs> All of our jazz. <laughs> uh, uh, what about characterization? There are a couple of momentary bits that are enjoyable. There was mm-hmm. some stuff with Axe I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, little said crumbs, mm-hmm. crumbs. Um, as a whole, n- negligible. Like it barely ranks on the scale. Um, <laughs> if I was doing it on a character by character basis, I might give it like a five or a six for Axe. There are elements of it that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. The introduction of the TV stuff, good. Mm-hmm. But. Nobody really felt like themselves. Yeah. They felt flat. Reading this. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. just wrong. Mm-hmm. They either felt mischaracterized or barely present. Yep. Sexy lamps. Mm. Uh, animal lamps. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoyability or satisfaction? Zero out of ten. <laughs> okay, maybe one for the good, for the crumbs. Yeah, I was going to say a one or a two, specifically for Marco driving. <laughs> yes, okay, Marco driving, which is my favorite part of the book. Yes, and, and, and Axe talking Tobias about and Axe. Yeah, yeah, and Axe and Tobias watching TV. Yeah. But yeah, no, favorite part, which actually is a part and not just a fleeing thing, Marco driving the van, uh, the truck. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that scene in isolation. Yes, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah i i think either that or maybe at the very beginning with ax and tobias watching tv because mm-hmm. it's it's just a nice little vignette of yeah their what their life looks like when because they can't mm. go to school yeah absolutely like there are a couple of little elements that ri- that work and and stick with you in a good way mm-hmm Unfortunately, there is so much tat around it. It's just, it's not worth it on balance. Like, just put those bits in a different book. Mm-hmm. Um, to that end, this is not essential animals reading. Avoid. <laughs> like, get, ask somebody to copy and paste the bits that were good for you to read in isolation. You will... N- I don't think you'll lose it because I think that the business with Vista 3 being a bad boss is seen in other books. Yeah. Even if not as clearly. Yeah. Uh, did you, well, did anything surprise you? How bad it was? <laughs> How much I wanted to stop reading? Like, this is the first time I've actively not enjoyed reading one mm-hmm. in some way. Even the Helmicrons was like, this is awful. Click next page. <laughs> yeah. Like I wanted to see how bad it got. Um yeah. this just felt like a slog. Yeah. It's when I finished the book I was like, man, I wish I could have those 2 hours back. Yeah, just like, oh, wait, I'm done. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Which is not a feeling I want to have. Yeah. After reading any book, let alone books with characters whose journeys I'm invested in, mm-hmm. whose relationships I'm invested in. Mm-hmm. I am mad that this how I've already closed the PDF X page long book about characters I like left me feeling angry and frustrated, mm-hmm. and not in a narratively satisfying way. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. Oh, da, da, da. I'm just like, I'm mad about it. Mm-hmm. It's 61 pages in the PDF. It's slightly okay. more than that in the book itself. 
Yeah. Bad. Yep. Well, and we didn't even get axe tipped over by drunk frat boys. My God. Wasted opportunity. (laughs) Absolutely wasted opportunity. Uh, Uh, Hashtag Izzy stickers. Axe having been tipped over as you can tell. (laughs) You know you want to draw an andalite in the mud. (laughs) An andalite pretending to be a steer in the mud. Mm -hmm. Continuing to pretend to be a steer. A little little moo in the thought speak pointing. (laughs) (laughs) Moo? Oh, God. Uh, Okay. Let's, Let's wrap this up. Oh yep. my god. Oh. Uh, my Fuck. co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. Uh, you can find them on their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FTLcast on Twitter. Uh, go check it out. Uh, they make really cool characters and tell stories about them in a variety of different universes um, in ways that not only give you really uh, satisfying narratives but also allow you to explore that characterization in a lot of depth things which you know this book did not have um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and if you want to engage in some long-form content with a coherent narrative with characterization that is satisfying uh and with uh interactions that uh, are intentionally OTT or unavailable, or just all manner of wacky things and that are as funny as Marco's attempt at driving, you should check out Danielle's home podcast <laughs> of The Room Where It Happened. Uh, season three is going to be starting pretty soon, so it'll be mm-hmm. an excellent place to jump on if you haven't listened, or you can check out some of their bonus episodes or standalones to get an idea of the kind of folks they are and the kind of stories that they tell. You can find Danielle elsewhere on the internet at redtailedhawk90 making games having thoughts retweeting reblogging good shit good content <laughs> and oh if you like animorphs and want to tell your own significantly better story because i guarantee you you can tell a better animorph story try playing <laughs> idiot teenagers with a death wish a forge in the dark hack <laughs> and uh, or you can listen to us playing dumb kids playing hero our animorphs inspired actual play which danielle runs and i am a player in that's just also wrapping its second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, good times. Yep. Intense times. Intense times. <laughs> oh, let's do a clap. Let's do a clap. At 40? 40. 40. <laughs>